Welcome to In All Things. I'm Sierra, and I would love to welcome you into my living room to have real conversations with you about everything from forgiveness and personalities to community and discipleship. So let's imagine we're sitting on my couch and encouraging each other to seek Christ in all things. Hey everybody, welcome back to In All Things. I'm very excited that you are here with me today as we dive into our summer series. Um, I wasn't actually planning on doing a summer series, but it kind of morphed into that, which works because last year I ended up doing a summer series on the fruits of the Spirit. So we'll just make this a yearly tradition then, I guess. Um, But before we dive into the series, I just would like to request that if you're enjoying the podcast, if you would please submit a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it is, Um, even if you've left a review before please do it again. It really helps the algorithm and allows more people to then listen to the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook at In All Things Pod um, and share things there or just follow along as well. But today we are going to jump into biblical covenants. Um, and I've been reading through the Bible chronologically with a couple friends right now. And we are still in Genesis, but I have done this reading plan before, and I was reminded this time how good and important it is to learn about the covenants that God has made with his people. Um, It feels familiar to talk about like the Abrahamic covenant, for example, in the Old Testament or the new covenant that comes in the New Testament. But there's actually a few more covenants that are covered in the Old Testament that we don't hear about as often. And so... Um, Today, I want to talk, start talking about those Old Testament covenants. There's six total, and we're just going to cover three today so that we can learn together about the promises that God has made and fulfilled to his people. So first, let's dig into what a covenant actually is. We are all familiar with how a contract in modern times works, and that's what a covenant was in biblical times. It was a promise or a contract between two people Uh, usually with conditions for that relationship. As with a contract, there would be consequences if those conditions were not followed through on. Now, as I mentioned in the Bible, we see several covenants that God makes with his people. Most of those are actually unconditional. However, there is one conditional covenant that is talked about. An unconditional covenant is where God makes a promise and there is nothing that anyone can do to affect or change that promise. And a conditional covenant is where God will either bless or curse the other party based on whether they were obedient to him or not. We also will see in this series that God often seals his covenants with a symbol or a sign. So the Bible mentions a total of seven different covenants, and there are a few different types within those seven. As I mentioned, there's one that is conditional, and that's the Mosaic covenant. The other six are unconditional, but there's still some uniqueness. Three of those covenants, the Abrahamic, Palestinian, and Davidic, those are ones that God made with the nation of Israel specifically. And then the last three covenants, Adamic, Noahic, and New, are also unconditional, um, but they were made between God and humanity in general. Those covenants are not limited to only Israel. So let's just start from the very beginning. A very good place to start, right? The Edemic covenant, like Adam, is not one that we hear a whole lot about. At least we don't hear about it referenced as a covenant. 
Uh, this covenant is a little bit more convoluted because there are actually two parts that are considered to be a part of the Edemic covenant. The first part is often called the Edenic covenant, and the second is called the Edemic covenant, but together they're called the Edemic covenant. So it's kind of confusing, I know. Um, but when we look at the Edenic covenant, that first part, that's where we see the blessings that God gives Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Those blessings also came with a warning, which we are familiar with. God warned them to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, we find this Edenic covenant in two different passages in Genesis. The first is in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the earth. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter two, we see it, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. So really, this part of the covenant outlines the parameters that Adam and Eve were to live within in the garden. They were given life and dominion over the earth and over the animals. They were commanded to be fruitful and multiply, and they were forbidden from that certain tree. Now, we know how that ended. Adam and Eve ate from that tree. And as a result, humanity was cursed, which was part of this second part of the covenant. Um, and that is laid out in chapter three of Genesis. It says, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So here is where we see the curses that were a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience. This was an unconditional covenant, but unlike some future covenants that we'll cover, these curses affected all of humankind, not just the nation of Israel. Here's where we learn that childbearing is going to be painful for women, that there's going to be conflict in marriage, the ground is cursed, it will take a lot of effort and work to survive, and death is inevitable now. Quite the consequences to a perfect world, aren't they? All of those verses pretty much sound like a death sentence, which I guess they kind of are. Um, but those curses sound very hopeless, which is why the verse right before those verses is filled with hope. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This verse promises the hope of the Messiah, both his first coming as well as his second. Um, it promises his first coming with the statement that there will be enmity between Satan and the woman's offspring. Some versions of the Bible don't use offspring. It says her seed, which would be indicative of a virgin birth since men are referred to as the ones who have seed. And it promises his second coming with saying he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God is speaking to Satan here. So God is saying that the woman's offspring is going to crush Satan's head. Then in Romans 16, which is centuries down the road, 
we read that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. By the time that Romans was written, Jesus's crucifixion had already happened. So Jesus's final crushing of the enemy will occur in the future when he comes again. And that should fill us with so much hope. And what a great introduction to God's covenants, because we can see that he definitely follows through on them. We know that childbirth is painful. We know that there is strife within marriage. We know that the earth is cursed. We know that there is death on earth. And we know that Jesus did come to save us. So going chronologically, our next covenant is the Noahic covenant, obviously to do with Noah. And this covenant is a little bit more obvious to those reading that God is establishing this with Noah. We're going to read from chapter 9 in Genesis, but before we do, I just want to recap Noah's story so it's fresh in our brains. So Noah was a righteous man in God's eyes, and God gave Noah very specific instructions to build an ark because he was going to destroy all of humanity, all of the earth um, due to wickedness. In Genesis 7, God says, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. So the flood came, destroyed the earth and everything in it. The rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights, and once it stopped, it took the water over a year to fully recede until the earth was dry again. So this was a long process. And here is where we get to then Genesis 9, and we read about God's covenant. It says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on the beasts of the earth and all of the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants, I will now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that still has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Before we move on, I want to point out a couple things here. God is establishing three things for Noah. And then he also gives himself one requirement as well. First of all, to Noah and his sons, God is telling them to be fruitful and multiply. That was the same command that was once given to Adam and Eve, but now again, there is no people left on earth except for Noah's family. So God is telling them to repopulate the earth. Second of all, God changes the relationship between humans and animals. So in this, he does two things. He says that humans will still have dominion over the wild animals, but now wild animals will fear humans. God also now allows humans to eat meat. In the Garden of Eden, God only gave green plants, but he said, now I will give you everything. And this is really important because it sets up a future covenant that God is going to make, but it also gives Noah's family something to eat right now. The flood would have destroyed all of the vegetation on earth. Now that vegetation would eventually grow back, but it takes time. So in the meantime, and in the future, Noah's family has meat to eat and they are allowed to do so. The final thing that God implements is the idea of capital punishment, which I understand is kind of a sensitive topic today. 
But God begins to require accountability for every single life. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans, their blood will be shed. After mandating those three things from humans, God then makes a promise that he needs to keep. And the Bible says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between you and me and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you and me and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. Lots of repetitive sentences in that verse, but God makes it very clear, right? When I read this, it blows me away because I look at the world today and I see a lot of evil, a lot of immorality, and a lot of wickedness. And God still promised to never destroy humanity again. Yes, I'm grateful, but I'll admit that it surprises me. Anyway, we learn a couple things here in this passage. So once again, like the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant is unconditional, meaning under no circumstances is God going to wipe us all out again. Again, that's kind of crazy to understand, but this is also another covenant that was made to all of humanity. God said, this is the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth, um, he also says to you and all of your descendants when he's speaking to Noah, he also says for all generations to come, this is for all of humanity. And it's not even just for all humanity, it's also to every animal because we read earlier that humans and animals both have lifeblood, therefore uh, we are all included in his statement of all life. Uh, the third thing that we learn here is about the symbol of the covenant that God provides, and that's the rainbow. And God said, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears, I will remember my covenant. Remember, that's the one he said multiple times. What I love about this is that not only can God remember this covenant, but we are able to remember it too. We see rainbows frequently after a storm, and it is a beautiful reminder of God's fulfillment of his promises to us. And right now we are in the beginning of the month of June where we are going to see dozens, maybe even hundreds of rainbow flags celebrating a sin that God clearly condemns in the Bible. But even when we see those flags, it can remind us that despite the amount of sin in this world, that rainbow symbol belongs to God and his promise to redeem us, not to destroy us. The final covenant we're going to go over today is probably the most well-known Old Testament covenant, which is the Abrahamic covenant. There is a lot that goes into God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, The first we hear about it comes in Genesis 12. Also, side note, there's a lot of covenants in Genesis. But God is speaking directly to Abraham, um, who was actually called Abram at the time. So that's how I'm going to refer to him until his name changes. God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God promised great blessings over Abraham's descendants, which is the nation of Israel, even though it's not called that yet. That's who Abraham's descendants are, is the nation of Israel. A few verses later, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. This promise of land is actually pretty interesting. In chapter 13, God talks again about both Abram's descendants and this land. The Lord said to Abram after the lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Now, there's also a more specific assignment um, at the end of chapter 15, where God specifies the land of um, 10 different tribes whose land will eventually become Abram's too. There wasn't a fulfillment of this promise until Israel took possession under Joshua's leadership hundreds of years later. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but these, these things are good reminders that God's promises don't always happen immediately, but he is always faithful. Even though Israel eventually got possession of this promised land with Joshua, there have been two times in history where Israel has been taken possession of by others. Once by the Babylonians, uh, which I think was in 823 BC, um, and then Israel was able to return to their land about 49 years after that. Um, And the second time was by the Romans who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Um, And for that one, Israel regained their land and was once again declared as a nation only in 1948. That was not even 75 years ago. We're going to chat more about this during part two because the next covenant deals with this land as well. But just to leave you hanging, currently in 2022, Israel does not have control of all of the land that God has promised. And I believe that Israel will not possess that remaining land until Christ comes back. But again, we are going to revisit that more in part two. Before moving on to the symbol of this covenant, we're going to take a look at how this covenant was actually made with Abram because it's really important. So in Genesis 15, Abram asks God, how can I know that I'm going to receive all this land? In typical human doubtful fashion. Uh, God then tells Abram to bring him a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, as well as a pigeon and a dove. So Abram brings the animals, cuts them in half, and puts each half of the animals across from each other. And then the birds are not cut in half, but those are placed across from each other as well. This was a known ceremonial ritual that Abram was probably aware of, and we then learn about it in Jeremiah. So when making a covenant, both parties were required to walk between the animal halves because they were both required to uphold an end of the covenant. And I know this next part is a little graphic, but if you can imagine these three animals were all cut in half and the birds were dead and there is a lot of blood and that blood was meant to represent what is going to happen if you break your end of the covenant. So a little gross, but it's important to understand this process. So the verses then continue. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, 
Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land. This is a very significant thing to note because we are told that Abram was in a deep sleep. He did not pass between those animals. God had put Abram in this deep sleep exactly like what was described of Adam when God created Eve. Abram was aware of what was going on, but he was not participating, nor was he able to participate. Only God passed between the halves of the animals, which means this is an unconditional commitment because God bound himself to that covenant. Abram is not bound to anything. That's very important to note. Also, this is not the only time that God appeared represented by smoke and flame. God led the Israelites through the wilderness as a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire later. So now we can talk about the symbol of this covenant. While the Noahic symbol was a happy, beautiful rainbow, the Abrahamic covenant gets circumcision as a symbol. Not so happy and beautiful. The passage where the Lord talks about this is also now where God gives Abram a new name. He says, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Um, He continues then by reiterating the blessing of land and many descendants. And then comes God's request to Abram. As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is your flesh. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So while God's blessing to Abraham is unconditional, the blessing of the land and the many descendants, Abraham's people were still required to obey God and be faithful to him to be included in that blessing. So from this moment on, the moment where God is asking for circumcision, the the men of Israel even though they weren't technically Israel yet, but the men of Israel were required to be circumcised or he would be cut off from his people. God was asking for faithfulness and obedience from his people. God still does ask for that faithfulness and obedience from us, although we thankfully have the new covenant to cover us. This topic is really important and we all have likely known about each of these covenants, even just a little bit, but I think it's important to talk about them all together so that we get the big picture. And that new covenant is getting closer to us. But in part two, we're going to cover the next three Old Testament covenants, uh, which are the Palestinian, Mosaic, and the Davidic covenants that are found in Deuteronomy and 2 Samuel. So thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a lot. Um, Stay tuned next month for part two of this episode. In a couple weeks, I will be releasing another guest episode. Have a great day, everybody. 
I'm so glad you tuned in for today's conversation. I hope you are leaving uplifted in your walk with the Lord because that is my prayer for this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at In All Things Pod, and I would love it if you invited more friends into our conversations. You can also visit my website at inallthingspodcast.com. If this episode was encouraging to you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform because it helps the algorithms and it allows In All Things to be accessible to more people. See you next time.